My fellow investors, welcome back to the Newcomer Investor channel where we talk about stocks, share insights and debate. Today is a special day. We have an incredible guest whom I've been following for a while. He is our first American guest on the channel. We're very excited to talk about US stocks and bonus points. I feel that mutual respect between each other, man, because we are both around the same age. And, you know, we're all trying to encourage other young people to start looking at investing because it's one of the best ways to build a better future. So, Investment Kage, I am honored to have you here today. Uh, excited for our chat. And let's start off with an introduction from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Kage? Well, so I chose the name Investment Kage. Uh, that's me. Is because I'm a big Naruto fan. Kage is like a village leader. And a lot of times, like Kage is like someone that you look up to. They make a lot of mistakes. And I know, like, I'm a relatively newer investor and stuff. And I was like, hey, I'm not perfect. And I thought Kage just suited the name perfectly because I was just like, I want to make like kind of like a home village. Like, even in like my Twitter handle, I'm like, welcome to my village. And I don't know. It's just something I always looked up to and like just anime with that kind of thing. And I was like, hey, that's cool. But I'm also, I'm 25 years old and yeah, so I just I kind of do a lot of research on stocks and love reading 10Ks, all about it. Cool, cool. All right, so let's go right into the beginning actually of your journey. So you just said you're 25. It's unusual for 25 year olds to already be investing or to even have such a big portfolio like yourself. Tell us about how you got started, like when you got started and, and just what triggered it and kind of the evolution of your journey. So I started investing when I was in 2019, but I have to really say like what really started is when I was eight, I opened up like a bank account and it was like with a banker and stuff. And he seemed really put together. I talked about this on the One Penny at a Time podcast as well. But basically he told me to save 33% of my income. Just, I don't know why, but it just hit home to me and I listened to him. I was like, all right, I'll do this thing. And so I saved for a very long time, like, I would scoop people's dog poop, do yard work, whatever. And I just saved and saved and saved and saved. And so by that time, like I graduated high school with a good amount. I had about 8K, which I thought was pretty good, especially since like That's amazing. I, I worked. Yeah. I But like I, I had fun with my money too, because he's told me spend 33% of my money, give 33% of my money and save 33%. And so that's what I did. Um, sometimes I spend a little more than I probably should have. But for the most part, I kept with that. And my grandparents and parents actually invest. And so like I knew about it, but they always told me that I need to buy like a hundred shares of a thing. And I was like, I don't have enough money to buy a hundred shares of anything. Like there's just no way, but they're engineers. And so they made quite a bit of money. And so like my grandpa and like my dad could do stuff like that. And they were like, oh, 401ks and things of that nature. But I was going into professions that didn't have those things. And so I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And so, I don't know, it was probably like 2016, like I started reading Wall Street Journal and I just was interested in it. And then I found a video on YouTube where it's like $5 a day can make you a millionaire. And I was like, $5 a day? Okay, I was like, this is stupid. I'm, I'll watch the video. And like I knew about compound interest and having someone say, it's like, oh, if you do $5 a day in something like the S&P 500, in 42 years, you'll probably have around a million dollars. And I was like, wait, I can do that. And so I thought I had to save and invest. So like I was I was saving a bunch of money and then investing an extra 150 a month. And so that was really difficult. I later found out that I could do both, but it was really that one YouTube video where this he broke it down, wrote it on a whiteboard, and I was like, oh, I could do five dollars a day. Like, and I figured it out, like I flipped golf clubs and things like that. So invest five dollars a day because i was like i need to do 150 a month like that's my rule 150 a month no matter what now it's more but and that's really what got me started was the influence of that banker my parents kind of talking about it and grandparents didn't really go their route though <laughs> uh and then just that one youtube video so i think the internet is just an amazing thing just reading online it really is a wonderful resource and it, and it's nice hear, hearing your journey how you you just like you said you just heard it you, you saw those videos and then you you got into it so you mentioned compound interest and that's that's a topic that i love and you also mentioned the s&p 500 so tell us a bit about how because you've that's one of your top holdings i suppose right voo 
Yeah, Vu. I, I own VTI as a bigger holding, but I plan on making okay. Vu. Um, so so let's let's look at some of these ETFs first because that's another thing too that I find really cool about you is I think you really like ETFs, right? A lot of young people, they just buy like whatever, a bunch of stuff because it, they look at investing as like a, a video game almost. It's like you need to have lots of action so you just buy whatever. But you're very much into ETFs. So let's break down some of your top ETFs and if you can also explain what's the difference between them and, and what's the appeal for you between VTI or VOO or some of the others. Okay, so um, ETFs, as you, as a lot of your listeners probably know, are exchange-traded funds. They're under certain ticker symbols you can look up through in brokerage accounts. Uh, I believe you can invest in most of them in a lot of Canadian brokerages. I yes. know you talked about that. Um, I know the taxes are a little different, so don't don't quote everything I say because I only know a lot <laughs> of the US stuff. Uh, yes. But VU, so VU and VTI, so VU is the S&P 500 that are all publicly traded companies and and then VTI is the, um, the whole U.S. stock market that are publicly traded. So this excludes things like ELPs and a couple other things that are a little complicated that I don't understand at all. Uh, so, but VTI is basically every stock and they have a, they're pretty similar. So like their overlap, which is just how many companies that are similar. So like VTI, I think is, it changes day to day, but last time I looked it was 82% of it was boo and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so they're pretty much the same holding. And so like the other 18% of VTI is the rest of the US stock market. And so that's when you get those micro cap stocks and because VU doesn't have really any micro cap stocks because the S&P 500 is huge. Yep. And I kind of like the idea of having those small funds and still having like the majority of the S&P because I believe the US will do better long-term. But if you look at like the averages, usually VU does better than VTI. Like this year is an example of one too. But to me, that's that's okay. I it makes me sleep better at night knowing that's like I have the whole US on my side. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the way you put it, that that does sound pretty good. To be fair, VT like so it is. They are market cap weighted ETFs, so that means yep. the bigger the company is, the more share it has. There are other ETFs that are not market cap weighted. And so like, you can buy the S&P 500. That's all even. I don't know any of the oh, tickers wow. on my top of my head. Yeah. But usually, historically, those kind of investments do better. This year is like a freak wow. anomaly because like eight companies in the U.S. So it's carrying the S&P 500 by market cap. But usually, like if you average out all the companies, those ETFs do better. Most Interesting. Years. Yeah, no, I, I learned that like three weeks ago. So, oh yeah, well, I'm happy to learn that today. That that's that's amazing. Very interesting. Had no idea. Okay, so so you have VTI and and, and VU. I always call it VOO. Didn't know it was VU. So you have those two, uh, and I guess they're they're a big part. Like, how much percentage wise, more or less, are they? You think of your portfolio? Uh, so my taxable account. So VTI, I yeah. own over a hundred shares of. I own hundred and one shares and some change. Uh. But in my taxable account, for example, it's thirty-eight percent of my. Oh wow! Okay. So it's yeah. a it's a pretty big chunk. Like the majority yeah, yeah. of my portfolio is ETFs, uh, just because I I don't remember who, but I went on a cruise and this really old dude. He was like, I was talking to him about investing and stuff, and I was like, kind of worried about individual stocks. And he's like, "Well, just buy ETFs." And I was like, "Oh." He's like, "Just put half your money in ETFs and then half your money in individual stocks." Now I put like 75% of my money into ETFs instead, just because okay. mm -hmm. a lot of times I don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, hey, whatever. I'm not going to use this in 30 years, hopefully. I mean, yeah. if I do, I do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. And then VU. So I've been slowly, I haven't added it. So once I hit 100 shares of VTI, I stopped adding more shares. And now that's just, I'm using dividends. And I kind of want to show my Twitter. It's like, hey. This is how much you can get in dividends if you're paid. Now, VTI is an expensive stock. It's like $220 US. I don't know what that is, Canada. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that's a lot in Canadian. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's quite a bit. It's not cheap. It took me over a year and a half to get there. Yeah, I bet. And then VU is, or VOO, or 2O, sorry. I have about 20% of my portfolio, and it's 29 shares. And I have a goal to hit 100 shares of VU and 400 shares of SCHD, which is just a 
higher dividend Good. ETF. Yes. So let's talk more about SCHDX because that's the next one I wanted to ask you about. So this one is your maybe third largest holding-ish? Uh, in my taxable account, definitely. Like, so my ETFs are all my largest holdings. That is correct. Okay. So um, SCHD and, and VU, there is a bit of overlap, but not too much. I guess SCHD is like, what, 100 stocks more or less? What, yeah. What, what was your kind of thought process to adding that one to your portfolio? Was it to have more dividends? No. So, like, funny enough, like, my dividend yield before I owned SCHD was lower than the S&P 500. Like, I don't chase yield. Like, my dividend yield is 2%, even with 114 or something like that shares of SCHD, which is like mm. a 3 point something percent dividend. Yeah. So I've never, I, once we go over my individual holding, holdings, you'll be like, oh, you have something like Costco. that's like 0.5%. Uh -huh. Yeah. I've never been like a yield chaser or anything like that. Like I've always looked for quality companies. That's something my grandfather taught me. Well, he didn't really teach me. He told me, he's like, oh yeah, I have this like mortgage factory that's pretty much worth nothing because I was looking for yield and that was a big mistake. And I was like, oh, okay, don't do that. Uh, that was early on into investing when I it was like 2019 for me. Okay. So I was like, okay, like if a company pays a really high yield, if it pays more than 6%, it's probably a red flag. And mm -hmm. because of that, I never really looked at stocks that yielded 6%. Nice. Okay. Well, hey, that's you're the, that's the right thing to do. You know what? I've been seeing, um, and I actually I want to ask you, this, is, this wasn't part of our topics, but I'll ask you now because I've been seeing a lot of people uh, in the U.S. crying on Twitter about this. What's up with AT&T? What's going on with that one? Oh, Have so AT&T about... yeah. is a very sad story. Uh, Joseph Carlson, a few years ago, made a great YouTube video. I'll send that to you when we're done. Okay, uh, thank you. But yeah. it was basically like the sad, sad story of AT&T. And I'm summarizing kind of what he said, but it's a really like they kept AT&T's management is just really bad, essentially. And they kept buying like companies that acquiring things and then selling them five years later for a loss. So they'd buy something oh. for $5 billion and then they would sell it five years later for a billion. And so it's like, oh, and they just kept doing things like that over and over and over again. And then they just kept getting more debt. They kept trying to increase their dividend to keep shareholders happy. And eventually they're just like, I don't know what their balance sheet is now, but the last time I looked, it had like a hundred billion dollars in debt. Now that doesn't uh, include their cash equivalents, but like that's more debt than most countries in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like I think oh, like what's no. what's Canada's GDP? Isn't it like uh, two trillion or something think, like that? I think it's two point five. I think like, it's like yeah. five percent of yeah. Canada's GDP. That's like that's scary. ridiculous. Like in Canada's a big country, right? Yeah. And so Oh, I used man. to own T because I like I had AT&T as a phone. This was before I knew a lot about research individual yeah. stocks, and which is a big reason why I have ETFs. Because I was like, oh, I use AT&T. That's a good company. No, it's not. Mm. <laughs> In my opinion, yeah. it might be a good value now. I don't know. Like, oh, probably, you, not. Like, probably not. Yeah. yeah, I just I feel like it's just going to keep going down because the management is just proven year over year done the same bad thing. Like, Buy something, sells it for a loss. Buy something, sells it for a loss. And it's just, it's a really sad story. And hedge funds like have like put a bunch of money in and like, hey, let's fix these things, these things. And then they just don't listen to them. Like the board. Wow. Yeah, the CEO needs to be canned. If yeah. you're listening to this AT&T CEO, I, I apologize, but that's just what I believe. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm famous enough for the AT&T CEO to listen. <laughs> but maybe one day he'll listen to the Newcomer Investor show. <laughs> that's, damn, that's, that is really sad. What are your thoughts on Verizon, which is the second biggest one, I guess, right? Yeah, so it is the telecom space. So, like, I just have issues with the telecom space in general. Like, they cost a ton of money to just build. Warren Buffett had a Charlie Munger. They have a quote. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't know the exact quote, but they're like, we don't like to buy businesses where all of a sudden, like, like a construction business where all their profits are just equipment. Mm -hmm. Like that's where all their profits are. AT&T and Verizon are a lot like that, but with their cell towers. But once those right. cell towers are obsolete, they're really worth nothing. And that's yeah. a big reason why I believe they have so much debt because they have to keep up with like the 5G and now there's like 6G or something like that. And it just yeah. keeps getting more and more and more. 
so like, and they just pay a really high dividend. And I think both those companies need to stop paying their dividend. I know like dividend investors would hate me saying that. <laughs> yeah. they, I think they need to focus on their business. Like, yeah. I'm actually okay if a company suspends their dividend if they start focusing on their business. And like if AT&T suspended it and started paying off their debt and like actual, like their tell hours and things like that, cell towers, sorry. Oh, yeah. I think the company would do much better long-term. Like a good example of a company that does that is the third biggest in the U.S., which is actually T-Mobile, which is T-M-U-S. And they actually are run very well. Like they don't really, they don't pay a dividend at all. They focus on, they wow. do like small acquisitions. So they'll buy like small companies, but they only will buy those companies if they see something that can enhance what they already have. So like, for example, they bought Sprint and Sprint had built a lot of like 3G or 4G towers at the time, and they were not doing very well. And so T-Mobile came in and was like, hey, we can help you out. And Sprint was basically like, yes, we need help. And so like, that's a good example. So I really wish like Verizon and AT&T would follow suit with like T-Mobile because they'd probably do better. And like T-Mobile, if you look at the stock, I think it's up. I mean, I know it's up. I don't know what percentage it's up, but it's not mm. like AT&T and Verizon, which it's are just... Better money pits huh. and just go down and so it i don't know a ton about the telecom space but that's just the kind of the research i've known it's just it's a really expensive business and when i buy a company i don't want to have all of their products just sitting there and not yeah. really of i shouldn't course. say not productive because tele because phone towers are kind of productive but eventually they become obsolete yeah, no, I mean, hey, that's that's fair enough. I, I had no idea about the T-Mobile, the that they didn't have a dividend, but they did so well. And, I could uh, be wrong on that. Well, or I'm a lower dividend sure at don't. least. Because I, I know for a fact they mustn't, if they have a dividend, it must be very low because no dividend investor ever talks about that company. So it's it must be super tiny if they have one. Okay, yeah. so that was the, the telco industry. Very interesting stuff. Thank you for that. You mentioned Costco. Let's talk about this one. Oh. I, I guess for our listeners... Can you let us know just a bit about Costco just in general? I mean, I guess most of us know, but just a bit of detail, and then we'll we'll go over more stuff about it. So Costco is a, basically, it's a giant warehouse grocery store, like a big box warehouse grocery store. Uh, they, they pretty much sell things, like, out of a pallet. Like, they don't, like, so if you go to, like, the normal grocery stores, I don't know what you have in Canada on the top of my head. Uh, we have the American ones too. Like okay, you do. We so have Costco like, here too. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. I, I I wasn't. I know Costco yeah. is in Canada, but I don't know yes. how diverse it is uh, yeah. or dispersed. I mean. here. Yeah. Okay, so basically, it's just a big box retailer, and they just sell things out of things. They mark up everything twelve to fifteen percent margins. So if it costs them a hundred dollars, they just say okay, it's one hundred twelve dollars or one hundred fifteen dollars. They're basically run off a membership, and so you pay. I don't know what it is now. But in the, in the U.S., last time I did it, I had a, I have a business membership because my parents own a liquor store. And so I have to get the business card to buy for their store. And it was like $60. And you buy this business. Oh, the business one is actually 100 Sorry. So you buy this business card and then you're able to buy stuff from Costco. And they basically run off of memberships because they make so little margins on their actual product that it's their subscription-based model, their card, that's their money maker. But because that everything's in big bulk, they actually have almost no theft. So, because like you try to buy, like steal 24 M&Ms in a big case, it's not going to happen. Mm, right. Like, yep. Or if you're buying a 35 case of Coke, yeah, it's not, you're, you're not stealing that. Yeah. Or it's very unlikely at least. And they have people checking. And so, but Costco is really cool because they don't focus on acquisitions. They wait for them to build up cash reserves. They buy a bunch of land or lease it for really cheap. They build a big giant building and then the product gets shipped and they just put it out on the floor. And then you just walk around the warehouse and you grab things and you go. And it's super, a lot of people love it because it's super cheap. Uh, I, I like Costco a lot. It's, it's always really clean. It's super nice. They also... Out of all the retail space, they pay their employees, in my opinion, the best because they mm. offer things like, I mean, I know someone who retired from Costco with $3 million in their 401k. Wow. And okay. she was like 67 and she worked at Costco pretty much for like 30 some years or something like that. It was a long time. So I was talking to her 
And she's like, yeah, like I just had my old boss tell me to put 25% into my 401k. And that's wow. what she did. And then they match up to yeah. a certain percentage, but, and she seemed to really like it. And so they pay decently, even around here, they pay higher than all the other retail stores. And so if you're going to work retail and that for pay, it's like, well, you might as well work at Costco. And so they get the best of the best employees because of that. They also have a really low turnover rate, which just basically means a lot of people stay for longer than other businesses. Like if you look at Kroger, for example, they have a decently high turnover rate. Walmart's mm. extremely high because mm. they just they cycle through people constantly. Yeah. But Costco, they, they they retain their people for the most part. And there's a lot of opportunities to move up. Costco will also actually, when they build a new building, they will ask a bunch of people who they trust and believe in, like, hey, we're opening up a new place. Can you go out here for three months? We'll pay for everything. And can you train everyone? Oh, and if they wow. really like you, maybe yeah. we can help you with housing, pay for it, and let you live here. At least that's what I've been told by some of the employees. I don't know how that process works. Uh, I haven't really looked into it myself. That's just what I've been told by friends that have worked at Costco. Because I had one that actually mm -hmm. had to... Um, he was like a manager and he moved to the one that moves closer to like my area. And okay. he was like, yeah, it was really cool. Like I got to be here for three months, see family. And then I moved back to my old one in Denver. So yeah. okay, it's a pretty cool business model. And I really enjoy that they don't focus on buying companies to grow. Yep. Like most grocery stores, they'll buy little smaller chains, mom and pop grocery stores. I mean, that's how Kroger got so big. Yeah. And they'll just look Costco. And what's really cool about them too is once their balance sheet gets really high historically, they will pay a special dividend because they just don't know what to do with their cash. It's like yeah. every three to five-ish years. I'm not relying on it or depending on it. Like if it doesn't happen, I don't care. Yeah. Yep. But the last one I think was $10 and the one before that was 7 Okay. And so a lot of people look at Costco and think, oh my gosh, it yields 0.7% or whatever it is, 0.5%. But if you count the special dividend, it's really around a 3 to 4% yielder. That's so, fair enough. Now, you can't count on the special dividend, obviously, because special for a reason. But it's the a best... nice bonus to get. That, yeah, that... like I think that was really cool that they even did that as a company. Because when I saw that yeah. and just doing more research on it, I was like, oh, this is really solid. Like, this is pretty cool yeah no that sounds brilliant so tell me also a bit about um because the thing with costco so i i love it like i i've been watching it from a distance and i really like it but i i have heard many concerns about valuation like for right now let's say what what are your thoughts on that and actually just in general do you ever look a little bit at pe ratios or things like that or not really or you do but you still buy what what's your process with things like that so that's an excellent question. I think what a lot of people do with specifically Costco is I don't really look at its PE ratio. I know this is going to sound awful as like an investor. It's like, but I think people underestimate Costco. It is the only retailer that I know of that has done well worldwide and that is growing mm -hmm. exponentially worldwide. Like people will think like, like Target, for example, went to Canada and they failed <laughs> miserably. The disaster, yeah. It was miserable. <laughs> Um, Walmart, they try to go overseas and they just, like, if you look at their balance sheets and stuff, they do okay overseas, but it's not like what they do in the U S mm -hmm. like it's nowhere near. Now, Costco builds one in China. Everyone loves like, it's like they built one in New Zealand a few years ago or a few months. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it was a year ago or a few years ago. And it was packed because people were just so excited for it. And it's still, I've never been to a Costco that's not busy mm -hmm. either or seen a Costco not busy. Uh, and so like, I think people really underestimate that how much power it is and they don't, they don't put its moat and they don't value it. Like they, they look at just numbers and just like what it is like quantitatively and not the qualitative aspects, like how yeah. it's doing as a business. And so when I buy Costco, sure it's a 41 or 40, 40 P ratio right now. I think that's what my spreadsheet says. I hope it's right. It's probably around that. Yeah. yeah and so like that, that, but that yeah. is trading higher than normal because it's normal PE ratio, I believe, is around 30, yeah, okay. something like that. But yeah. basically, for those of you guys who don't know, since we're shouting out PE ratio, someone said something really cool to me. That means for every like $40 they spend, they make $1. Yep. Is what Costco is. Like yeah. that's like the really 
And so when someone says something like, oh, it's a 32 P ratio, you just have to be like, okay, that means it costs them $32 to make a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what you said about like, because it's such a quality business, the PE doesn't matter as much. I, I completely agree with that. I, I still, it's still something that I like to look at just to, you know, kind of be aware at least, but there's a reason that Apple, Microsoft, Costco, and all the greatest companies in the world, like in Canada, we have Canadian Pacific Railway. Now it's called Canadian Pacific Kansas City because they just bought Kansas City Railway. It's the best rail in North America, probably. Also trades at like 30 to something PE, which is kind of crazy. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, that, that makes sense. And another thing too is a lot of times I think people bet against a company like that where they think, okay, at some point the multiple is going to contract, right? And then it just never does. And then people just end up never buying the stock. Like, have you heard of Dollarama? And it, that's a Canadian one as well. I have heard of it. It's, yes. uh, I think I it's similar to, it, it. I think it's similar to Dollar City, I think. You know, okay, like dollar, yeah. is it like a dollar store? Like, yeah, it is. No, okay. Dude, this company, this, it's one of the best performing stocks in Canada, like ever, in terms of performance of the stock. It's always trades at a PE like above 30 something. I've been watching it since 2019 and not buying it since 2019, and then regretting that I've not been buying it <laughs> since 2019 because it just never falls. The PE stays up there because it's so good. So, anyway, all that to say, I, I understand what, what you're saying and, and I agree with, with that. Um, so, so that was your Costco. Do you have any other companies like that? Like you mentioned Kroger, do you hold that one as well or not? Yes, I own Kroger. Uh, so like in my individual holdings, Kroger, I think is like my fourth biggest holding. Okay. Uh, so I like Kroger because I believe, so talking about Costco, when I said they like, I like them because they don't do acquisitions. I like Kroger because they do acquisitions. Okay. But the reason why I like Kroger's acquisitions is because they do them really well. So like when you start reading a lot of companies' balance sheets and like their 10Ks, you'll see that they have a lot of Goodwill cash. And now Goodwill cash can be like bonds, treasuries, and equivalents. But that's also in that category is failed acquisitions. And so like failed buys. Mm, yep. And so like if they messed up let's say a billion dollars. Oh, look, I have a billion dollars oh. in. Sorry, I just saw the dog. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I have yeah. a husky too, so I love your, yeah, yeah. anyway. So like they all have like a billion dollars extra in this goodwill cash category. And so Kroger, they, they do really well with buying companies, not changing anything really about them. Like they'll, they try to do their best and keeping the, the operations of the business. Yeah, they keep operations of the business culture. They oh the yes, culture. they yeah. don't. They don't just like so. A lot of like tech companies fail, for example, because oh, yeah. they'll buy a tech company and let's say there's like ten managers and like well, and there's fifteen manager positions or, or fifteen managers and only ten manager positions. I mean, they'll yeah. be like, okay, we'll fire five of them at the yeah. new place because we don't know them very well, and that just completely changes the culture and it demoralizes the company you just bought. Kroger really tries not to do that. And so like mm. their goal from the last time I've read is that they keep it all the same, but then they slowly push their products in. So like they'll have the same products that they've always sold on the shelves and they'll have the Kroger products. But if they bought a business that has their brand, they'll keep that brand and they'll make that brand and they'll use that one. And so mm. like, instead of saying, I don't know, like let's say Walmart bought somewhere and all of a sudden you're used to seeing like a random company's like great value thing. And now you see a different one and you're like, wait a second, like yeah. this is different. Like this isn't what I used to buy. And so then it, it changes the customer's mentality and Kroger is like, no, we're not doing that. We're going to keep using this brand. And then in a few years, they slowly lean off of it. And okay. I think it's really smart because people really do not like change. Like they just, they don't like change. And so if you change the culture, you, you've ruined your business. And I think that's actually why most acquisitions fail is because the culture gets changed. And Kroger does an amazing job about not changing that. So that, that's why I have Kroger. Okay. Uh, yes, they trade at like a higher PE ratio. Um, that's like 13, which isn't terrible, but. That's pretty good for like a high quality kind of, you know, grocery. Yeah. Yeah, and like, that's, that's dope. It's good. So I think it's a, relatively solid company uh i don't know if i'm gonna buy any more into it because just because i think costco is just a better company and in my portfolio i'm really trying to buy the best companies that i think in the world are because mm -hmm. i think if they're the best they will do well long term 
Now, I've had some companies that aren't the best, but we can talk about that more too. Yeah. All right. So we just talked about uh, wanting some of the best companies in the world. So can you, I guess, walk me through some of your, you said Kroger was your number four. So what are your one, two, and three? I suppose those are the best companies ever, right? So, oh, not necessarily. Uh, one of them, oh, I don't think is the best company ever. Okay. Uh, Let's hear it. Apple and Microsoft are my number two. Apple was trading in the 120 range earlier this year. And I think I bought like 10 shares because I just thought they were stupidly undervalued. And then Microsoft, I bought like three or four. I didn't have a ton of money. I was trying to max out my Roth IRA. I do that at the very beginning of the year first. And my Roth IRA is all ETFs, but I, I was just like, okay, I need to stop maxing out my Roth IRA and put some money in these companies because they're just they're stupidly undervalued, in my opinion. Just because Apple's ecosystem, I think, is probably the best in the world. Like, and for the consumer, I think Microsoft is the best ecosystem for businesses. And so to explain Apple, because that's my biggest holding, when you have, like, I have an Apple Watch and, like, my phone and, like, my computer right now and my iPad, they all connect seamlessly. I've been an Android user, too, and I always have issues with them. Like, something doesn't want to connect. It, it doesn't pair for some reason. It all of a sudden drops. Some people that are more tech savvy than me, I'm sure don't have that issue. But as someone who isn't the most technical, like tech oriented person, it's just a struggle. And I'm like, and the more I use Apple, I'm just like, wow, this is really easy. Now, and some things that they're doing to always enhance that mode is like using the App Store, making it all secure. Now they have like their bank card and they just keep like, it's like Apple is making a tent or a castle and they just keep adding on to it and putting more stakes in. And so it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger every time they release something. And all their products, like they all connect really easily, like even the AirTags, like this morning, for example, I didn't know where my keys were, but I have my phone and I was like, oh, I'm just going to do the find me app. And it just started beeping. I was like, oh, there are my keys. Nice. I hadn't used that feature until today. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. this is really cool. I When I had an Android, I had like a similar thing and it was like a find me thing. And half the time it wouldn't work. It wouldn't connect. And it's like, oh, we don't know where it is. But I've just, I've never had issues with Apple. Now there are some things that I've had issues with Apple, but that was usually user errors because I didn't fully understand how to use it. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, same and so me. I was like, oh, like on the phone, like I didn't understand that you had to like hold down the space bar to like, and then you could like scroll around to like text yeah. people and stuff. Yeah. Because on Android, you can just touch it and the, the typing goes there on like the phone. I didn't realize you had to hold the space bar. Now I really like that better because like it actually makes me reread everything. Yeah. But yeah, so like I like Apple just because it just keeps building its ecosystem it's not in my buy range anymore. My buy range was around $180. That's why I thought it was fairly valued at. And a lot of people would argue with me because if you use fair value calculators, it's much less. Yeah. But I was just like, the ecosystem is just so amazing. Now the, on the to Microsoft. Moats, the, the moats for Apple, sorry, I'll just jump in here. The, the oh, no moat worries. for Apple is just, you're right. It's absolutely like, I don't know how anyone can, you know, some people say, you know, Apple in 10 years, I don't know if it'll be there, but it's like, bro, talk to anyone like you and me who have Apple products. We're stuck forever with them. I, I can't not use Apple anymore because exactly like you described, I'm very bad with technology. I, I don't know how to do anything. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have my iPhone, uh, any phone that's more complicated than an iPhone, I have no clue how to use it or what to do. And a lot of people are in that same position. And like you said, everything is integrated and they make it comfortable. And like you also said earlier with the with our other topics we discussed, people don't like change. And if we're comfortable in some kind of ecosystem, it's just the biggest pain in the world to jump to something else. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, especially very powerful. since Apple's been doing like the banking stuff, like yeah. if you have your banking, I don't have, so like I have like trust issues. I would, ne I don't, I, I shouldn't say never. But I'm really hesitant about putting like a banking like on my phone, like in their phone. Like I don't. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't trust it. I just I have I have trust issues. Yeah, that, <laughs> like, that's fair. And so like for me, it'd be easier to switch. But for some friends that I I know, they're like, oh, it's just simple. Like I don't have to think about it. It's just my bank's right there, and you don't need a new iPhone every year. So it's not like it's essential. Or it's like, and if you forget your phone too, well, guess what? Your Apple Card can connect to your <laughs> Apple Watch. 
Yeah. So you don't even need your phone on you. You can just walk out, go to like wherever and go you know, tap pay and bam, done. You don't have to pull out your phone or if you forget your phone, you have your Apple Watch, you're good. Now I was hesitant about the Apple Watch at first. It was actually my grandfather's and he let me use it because he, uh, he was getting a new Apple Watch. And so, But for a while I was like, I think this is stupid. This is dumb. And then slowly I started playing with more. I was like, oh, this like camera picture is cool. Oh, look, I can look at my brokerage account on this. Oh, look, people can message me and I can see them. Like, this is actually kind of a, a useful tool. I don't have to pull out my phone. To, if I get a buzz, I look at it. Okay, it's not super important. I can get to it later. That is pretty cool. <laughs> so, like, the, yeah. like I didn't, because I was, I was really hesitant about spending money because I'm a pretty frugal person. Yeah. But my grandpa was like, oh, I want to get a new Apple Watch. So I'll give you my old one. And I was like, cool. And this is like a Series 3, and it works just as fine. The only downside is, is that you have to charge it at the end of the day. That's not even that Because bad. it's old. And so yeah. I don't, I don't sleep with it. He oh, wants, okay. like, my grandfather wants it because it, the Apple Watch has a lot of health stuff. And so oh, it tracks yeah. a lot of his like heart rate, his breathing, his oxygen levels. And like the new one's really cool. There's a lot of, but I don't need those things. So the, the three works just well for me. That's fair enough. Okay, on to Microsoft. All right, Microsoft. So I think if you look at like Microsoft Azure, which is like their most profitable thing, 95%, I think it is what it is, of companies in the S&P 500 use Microsoft Azure. Wow. So pretty much all of the financial world is run by Microsoft. <laughs> like that's what I like to think yeah. of it as. And Microsoft does something really cool. So like, I don't know if you know of Slack. Yes. Uh, like Slack came the yep. thing and then like Salesforce bought Slack mm -hmm. and people stopped like switching away from like the Microsoft like team meets. And so what Microsoft did was something genius. They're like, oh, you only have Slack and texting guess what? We can bundle everything that we already have. We can give you sheets. We can give you meets. We can give you this thing all for cheaper than Slack and you have more functions. And so all, so like they lost some business a little bit and then they, they did this thing called bundling, which Microsoft does amazing and they just bundle everything. And so it makes it super hard for big corporations to want to leave because they're like, oh my gosh, this is cheaper because like, it's just, it doesn't make sense cost-effective. And now, yes, Microsoft stuff, it might not be the best of the best, but the fact that it's cheaper for a lot of big businesses, and when you have a thousand employees, you're kind of trying to look for cost-effective things, and you know your employees can kind of deal with little hiccups and yep. things like that. But, and Microsoft does try to work on them, but they do so many things. Like, I have a 10K thread of Microsoft that I made by going over their report, and it's just the amount of businesses that they own is wild and, and like the things they jump do in on your thing about the bundling too what what's so important like you said is even if some of their individual products aren't the best the fact that if you go with their whatever you get everything they have all the solutions a company would need you might as well just go with them instead of having one thing from microsoft and then one thing from slack or whoever else you know what i mean so that that's also part of their power it's a moat yeah, it's like they, they have a really big moat with that and they make a lot of money through businesses. And they uh, one thing I don't like about Microsoft, though, is that historically, I don't think they're the best at acquisitions. Hmm. Uh, so like they have some fails and that's what like if you look at their goodwill cash, like it's like 50 percent. And a lot of that I would have to look back at older ones, but a lot of it's because of failed acquisitions. Oh, okay. Like, for example, if the Activision deal doesn't oh, go through, yeah, yeah. like they have to pay Activision $3 billion. I'm pretty sure it's going to go through, though, but that's just an example. Like, yep. if it doesn't go through, that's another $3 billion on their balance sheet that they don't technically have, yep. but it looks like they have. So that's why when people talk about cash and debt, you have to really look at that carefully because you have to look at what the debt is. Because, yep. like... Some companies, they might have debt, but it's at 2%, even if it's like 5% interest rate environment or whatever, just because they're so backed and credited or they'll get a loan from a different country. Yeah. So that's why I think looking at the debt isn't, you have to look at what kind of debt it is. Yeah, that's but, very fair. All right. So I pulled up my 10K thread. Okay. And so products, and I, I say I might miss them. They own LinkedIn, Dynamics, Office Commercial and com Consumer Intelligent Cloud, like Microsoft Azure, 
service products and cloud services, enterprise services, windows, devices, gaming, and search advertising with their Bing. And that's just, that's a good chunk of them. It's not all of them. Yeah. But that hits almost everything everyone uses or any business can use. Uh, like just how much stuff they do, I think it's a good company. And it's not in my buy range anymore. I thought it's fair value is around 340 yeah. or not 340, uh, like 320, I mean. Yeah. It's trading around 340 right now. So I think it's slightly overvalued. Uh, but yeah, so that's my feel yeah. about Microsoft that I think is just, they just do so many things. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I used to own it. I sold it very recently, like maybe two or three weeks ago, I think. Yeah, I heard um, that podcast. And, and, I, and, I, and I put it in the S&P. I mean, it's because the thing is, too, like my American exposure is still very low-ish. It's maybe like now it's probably like I want to say 18% or maybe 20%. So it's and I want it to be like closer to 50. So I was like, you know what, Microsoft, I love it. I'll put it in S&P. I still have Microsoft, but I also have all the other great stuff that you guys have over there. So, yeah. Yeah, because if you have the S and P five hundred like Vu, I think like six or seven percent of it's Microsoft, yeah, and exactly. six or seven percent is Apple. So it's yeah. not like so like sure you sold it, but, but you still, still own it. a heavy portion indirectly. Yeah, like exactly. that's why like my Vu and VTA, like sure I only own like nine shares of Microsoft, but indirectly I own a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> same with Apple, even though I don't have voting rights on those, but yeah, that's yeah. okay. So what's your third biggest holding that you said wasn't that good? I think you said something so, like that. So I shouldn't say not good. It's Exxon Mobil. Oh, no, so that's I bought, great. Uh, I don't on. think it's the best oil company in the world. I don't know what mm. the best oil company in the world is, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I just bought it during COVID for like $36 a share. Smart. Uh, so I just remember like the lockdown happened and... I saw that these two companies, Chevron and ExxonMobil, were trading under book value. And I happened to be like two weeks before the COVID shutdown researching oil companies and like how the world uses oil. And I learned 50% of the world's oil isn't even used in cars. It's used in like household products like plastic, roads, tires, uh, really anything. Like if you drink a soda from a can, they use a plastic. They use like a oil plastic lining to like hold the can. So you're not just drinking aluminum. Uh, and so like, I was looking at those and I was like, and then when COVID happened, everything changed. And I was like, these companies are trading under book value. Like this makes no sense. Even if they lost all car stuff, they shouldn't have dropped this much. Like they're still like, it makes no sense. They, it didn't to me. And so I just, I, I didn't do really any research. I just looked at the book value. Uh, I flipped a coin from ExxonMobil or Chevron, and okay. I bought ExxonMobil. Okay. And then as I learned more about research, I ended up holding ExxonMobil because I like how they're spreading to different spaces. Like, they actually make the products with, like, plastics and stuff like that, or they do something along those lines. I'll be honest with you. I do need to research that stock a little more because I don't know everything that, about it. That's totally fine. You know what? But my yield on cost on it, with yeah. like my dividends reinvested, I think is at like 18%. Whoa, what? 18%? Yeah. And That's so, amazing. yeah, it's dividend yield is like 3% or something like that. But my yield on cost is just so high. I mean, it might be, I think it's, oh, it's 15%. Sorry, with my oh, dividends that's, reinvested. That's still pretty good, man. But Don't so it's like, like, yeah. Uh, anytime like someone's like, it's super overvalued, and I'm like, what am I going to get that's a better value right now? Yeah. Especially since I just reinvest the dividends into it. I think it's about fair valued. Even if cars go away, like we still rely heavily on plastic. Like we have yeah. a lot of work to do to get rid of oil. Yeah, no oil. And is I think oil going. will probably be around, like maybe not gas powered cars, but even like airplanes, like people are talking about like uh, making electronic airplanes. And that's just not fuel efficient because when you fly planes, you actually like part of the math equation for like fuel is like, knowing that there'll be less fuel and so there'll be less weight. So mm. you'll be able to go farther. Yeah. And so I don't think battery-powered airplanes are going to oh, be no. around anytime no, soon. No, no, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Even, no, like, we, with we trains, yeah. like, diesel, like, you can put, like, 100 trains on a car. I was researching Union Pacific and things like mm. that and railroad companies. It's, like, 100 trains is, like, one gallon of diesel mm. per, like, mile, which is an insane because those, yeah. those train trucks, they have... I don't know how many tons it's ridiculous and so i just was like oil's not gonna go anywhere and like my total gain on it is like 
I don't I don't know on top of my head. It, my spread, I need to make a with dividends invested thing, but it says it's 149%. Wow. So it's probably around 180%. Yeah. What a good and that's trade. just like my biggest, that's probably like my biggest winner. And it's kind of funny. Like I only put like, because this is early on to my investment journey. I was only investing like 100 to $300 a month. And so I put that monthly thing. I was like, okay, I got like $300. I'm putting it all into ExxonMobil. I can actually tell you. Oh, it was a uh, 150 and then 240. Okay. Well, um, it was something like that. It goes over the months I contributed. And so I, was, right. I put everything next on mobile because I was like, this is just dumb. <laughs> Very clever trade. That's a perfect segue into another question that I had for you uh, around the start of COVID and the psychology of an investor. So I, I want to hear about how you felt because I can tell you, me, when, I, when this whole period started, my first instinct was, oh, I'm terrified. This is like not cool. Like my portfolio fell 40%. But then I looked at some of those companies and I thought this seems like a once in a decade opportunity, maybe. So I decided to aggressively buy, but I was scared. Tell me how you felt and how you approached that period, like March 2020. So I thought so because like I'd been researching stocks and stuff for like three years prior to you and investing and just like reading on it. I was like, oh, the, the S&P 500 has been in the longest bull market like ever. Uh, like the US stock market. And so when it finally dropped, I was like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. I was like, this kind of sucks. But back then, like, I can actually tell you, like, my market value of my portfolio. This was a lot of money back then. So hmm. now it's still a lot of money. Uh, but my portfolio value in February 2020 was 2,300. And then in March, this is with investing, like, money, it went down to like, I think it went down to 1800 was its low. Okay. From 1700. So it was a pretty significant drop, right? Yeah. Because uh, I think I hit like 2500 or something like that. I only have data for like the 31st and the 31st. So like the 31st of February and the 31st of March. So it was like a $400 drop just from one month. It was more than that. I remember my lowest drop. It was, it was a lot more. And I was like, oh, well, this kind of sucks. But like, I also wasn't panicked because I was like, it's only a couple thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. It's not too bad. Uh, I kind of rationalized it like that. And then I saw all my favorite companies were just really cheap. And I was like, I wish I had more money because I had been reading on Wall Street Journal and like everyone's like, yes, you want cash for a downturn. And I was like, well, I don't think a downturn's ever going to happen. I'm not going to hold cash. And so now I actually hold cash because of that. Mm -hmm. But I was just... Yeah, I wouldn't say like I freaked out. I was like, I remember talking to me. I was like, yeah, my portfolio because at the lowest point it was like a thirty-six percent drop or thirty-four percent. Yeah. I was like, yeah, my portfolio is down thirty some percent. And he was like, you okay? I was like, yeah, I get to buy more dividend income. That's the right and, approach. And yeah. I was also kind of happy because I was during COVID. I was student teaching, and I was at like six different schools because it was like my pre-internship, and I was sick every single week and like i had to keep teaching while being sick and i felt miserable and so when COVID happened and seeing my portfolio drop i was just happy i wasn't sick because i was sick for like 10 weeks straight damn like i would get unsick for like a day and then i would be sick again but i still had to like i couldn't just take the time off because i kept getting sick <laughs> and so my professor's like yeah this is what like teachers get sick all the time you have to Fair deal enough. with it. And I was like, especially if you're traveling to a bunch of different schools, because kids don't wash their hands before COVID, right? Yeah. Kids oh, and man. adults didn't really wash their hands very no well. No one did. Yeah. And now, yeah, no one really, no one really did. still does, in my opinion. That's true, actually. Yeah. That's not fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I go to the bath, yeah. public bathrooms, I see people wash their hands for two seconds. I'm like, you didn't do anything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, we just had man. a pandemic. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Those three years was strange, man. It just went by. I feel like everyone almost forgot now or something, even though it was such a big, big deal, right? Um, that was really an odd time. Oh, yeah. No, that was really interesting, though, too. So, like, in April, so, like, in March, my portfolio went down to 1,900. And then in April, it went to 3,000. Whoa. So like my low so like literally in March 2020, like the 31st is at 1900 and then May 31st it was at 3000 Granted, this I put money into. It wasn't just 
I put in, so it only went up like $200 because I put in 800 at that time. Well, that's still something, you know? So, but like, I was like, oh, I can actually out-contribute my downturn. Now, if I had a $100,000 portfolio like I do now, I couldn't do that. Yeah. But I would be, I wouldn't be bummed out, but I'd be like, oh, this happens. I'm only, I'm in my 20s. My time horizon's really long. I don't need this. I've built up a huge cash reserve now, probably way more than needed. But seeing that big drop, it makes me sleep better at night knowing that I have cash so I can take advantage of yep. what happened during COVID. Because that was like my biggest, like, man, I really should have listened to like the Wall Street Journal of every single person saying, save cash, save some cash, save some cash. And I actually have a rule. So like if I invest $1,000, 10% of that is just in cash in my brokerage account. Okay. I've upped that a little more because I'm trying to save for a house as well. Yep. But... So question for you on your cash, do you keep it as cash cash or do you put it in like some of these ETFs that are like high interest ETF that doesn't move, but gives you like 5%. I don't know if, if you guys probably have that in the US too, right? Yeah, we do. Um, I put it, so it depends on how ambitious I am. Sometimes I put in like the high yield bonds that are like 5% or whatever, because I can get like 4.8%, but I also have Robinhood Gold because it has some Morningstar research and oh, okay. it's $5 a month. and. Recently, I've just been, I don't like having to sell the bonds and then buying the stock that I want to buy with. It's just another transaction that I have to fill out when I do taxes. Because uh, yes. in the it's U.S., you have to like, man, and I don't, Yeah. so like I did that for a little bit. And then in 2020, like when I filled out my 2022 taxes, I had a, not a bunch of lines, but I still had to go through a bunch of them. Like, this is not worth the 0.015%. Yeah, like I'll just I'll keep it at four point six five percent. I don't really care. Uh, someone yeah, cool. told me yeah, that I, I should buy I bonds, but I was like, well, part of this cash is for like a potential house fund too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like I bonds like have some rules. That's just like a U.S. Treasury bond. Like you're giving the U.S. money and they're giving you whatever percentage it is. It's like six percent, I think, right now, or something yeah. like that. Uh, but you have to wait twelve months to like withdraw it. Like, and if you don't wait the 12 months, you end up having to pay taxes oh, on it man. or you don't. <laughs> and it's like short-term capital gain tax. Yeah. And if you look at the U.S. like website to buy I-bonds, it looks like it was made in the 90s, like all government websites. True. Good. Point. <laughs> at least in the U.S. I don't know if it yeah. is like that in Canada. Uh, it's probably kind of the same. Uh, maybe U.S. is a little bit more antique, but <laughs> that's that's crazy, man. But that, I mean, that that makes uh, like I understand it, like it's a good lesson for cash management to also consider the tax implications and just all the headache that it can cause. So uh, no, I, I yeah, especially if you uh, like since I do my own taxes because I don't make a ton of money. Like I, I think it'd be silly to hire someone just because my taxes aren't that complicated. Hmm. And if I hired someone, they might save me a little bit, but my portfolio is not nearly the size where it. It needs right. to to like yeah. actually take advantage of it because like my yeah. parents have a CPA because they own a business. Oh, and I asked her, she's like, "Oh, it'd be like five hundred bucks for me to do your taxes," and I was like, "Well, it cost me like one hundred eighty bucks to do." So right. Well, okay. Um, so I don't question... think it cost me one hundred eighty. Makes sense. Yeah. Question for you, totally unrelated. This is a new topic, but I'm very curious. So, um, and I'll to preface this with so us in Canada. We because Canada is like I think it's only four percent of the value of the global stock market or something something like that. It's not very much. We, yeah, it's around that. We, we invest a lot in other countries, right? So the first one we look to is the U.S., but we all some of us, you know, have investments in other things. I used to invest in Europe uh, and other places, even in Australia. But now I'm wondering, for someone who lives in the U.S., how do you look at foreign stocks? Because you have so many already in the U.S. Do you hold hold any international stocks or not even? So I don't, I thought about it. I just, Joseph Carlson, I, I love Joseph Carlson. If you have, I've messaged him three yeah, times. I, I watch his uh, videos. Yeah. So like, I absolutely love his stuff. He mentioned something about like not having a lot of like international companies just because it was like one of his first videos. And he was like, if you don't know the country or what it is you're investing in, like I would stay away from it. And I was like, you're right. Like, I don't really know any of these companies that a lot of people talk about. And I don't understand them. Like, I don't understand how the country works and how the country's laws and things like that. And then uh, I was talking to my grandfather because he's invested for a very long time. Like, 
decades long, right? Mm-hmm. Super long. <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, I don't really do international stocks because when I did my own taxes, things didn't get withheld right properly sometimes. Today with technology, it's easier. Uh, but that kind of scared me when he said that. He's like, taxes don't get like properly in the brokerage right sometimes. And then it's a nightmare if you don't figure it out. And then 10 years later, you get audited. And I was like, I don't want to deal with that. Uh, yeah. um, about something you did wrong when you tried your very best. And yeah. it's like, well, and so that kind of scared me for a while. I thought about doing international ETFs hmm. because like Vanguard, they, if you have an international ETF through Vanguard, they do everything for you. They withhold everything. It's all filed correctly. Like I trust Vanguard. I don't know if I would trust like Schwab. I mean, they're probably fine. But like Vanguard is literally worldwide. So it's yeah. like 100% would trust them. Yes. So I thought about it. But then I looked at a lot of my US stocks and their international exposure, like Apple. Apple is winning like India, for example. Like it's winning the hearts of India right now. A lot of yeah. people love it. Same as it's winning, winning a lot of Asian countries as well. Uh, Microsoft is worldwide. Uh, Starbucks, they, they don't, okay. Their balance sheet doesn't do very good worldwide. That's because of the strong dollar, but they're still worldwide. Yeah. Costco is starting to get international. So I think the S&P 500, it's starting to become like the world. And so I see very little reason for me to research international companies, because if I did, then I would end up going down a deep rabbit hole and looking up all their politicians and all their taxes and like what things are going. It's a lot. And it's a, it's a lot of work that I don't understand. And if I don't understand the business, I don't think I should buy it necessarily. And since I, even if I did understand the business, like what if Canada decides, you know what, we're going to do 50% taxes on all foreign people just because, or it, Europe does that or whatever. Yeah, Europe is way more likely than Canada to do that. Yeah, yeah, Europe might do. <laughs> we like, we would not. Like, we Canada would not do that. Otherwise, we wouldn't exist anymore. We'd be finished. Yeah, Canada but, has yeah. like a good like partnership with the U.S. Yes. Like I would look into Best like. Friends. Yeah, I've looked at Canada banks because U.S. banks are really yes. complicated. Yes. Oh, dude. I don't... You know what? If you ever were to buy a foreign stock and you wanted to look at banks. TD would probably be an, an interesting one to look at for you because it's it's our most American bank, but it's also very Canadian too, right? So mm-hmm. you get you get both, and it's very well run, uh, super profitable. The compound annual growth of dividend, I think, is like 12% something for the last 15, 20 years. Like, it's, it's done really well. Um, so no pressure, but if you ever buy a foreign stock, probably a good one. Yeah, Canada banks are really cool too because what is there like nine of them or ten of them something six. like that? Well, six, or six big ones. Oh, so there's there's yeah. less. Yeah, the yeah. U.S. has like four, five thousand or something, and then a thousand yeah. little ones everywhere. Yeah, and they and so them. it's like, yeah, it's a mess. And I mean, I was so I own Bank of America stock, and okay. I bought it early in investing because my grandfather had it. And he's like, oh yeah, I like Bank of America. Why didn't you listen to him? It's actually my worst position. Like. Oh, or, yeah, it's like it's it's done the worst out of all my positions. Uh, but I read it's 10K and it's basically just a huge filing report. And it was so I don't understand that business. Oh. Like I don't like I try to read it every time and like I get more and more out of it. But they have like different loans to like different banks and like different treasury notes for like everyone. And it's just it's 300 and some pages. And it's just a bunch of financial report. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so confusing. And I don't have um, the knowledge to understand this business fully. Because there's mm. US, like there's a reason why, like the reason why like Warren Buffett and things like that, people are like, oh, I own this because Warren Buffett has it. Well, he gets preferred shares. And so like his Bank of America stock gets like a 6% dividend while the average investor gets like a two or 3%. Yeah. And so- Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, like with their banks, they get a lot more in dividends from these mm-hmm. banks and they've had them for so long that it'd be silly to sell. Yeah. So, but yeah, so like I've looked into Canada banks just because like some of them have paid dividends for like 150 years. And the reason why oh, they haven't yeah. grown mm-hmm. is because sometimes like Canada will put a law, like if there's like some kind of uh, international emergency thing, they're like, you can't raise the dividend. 
Scientific. Yeah, we we had that for COVID. Yeah, they, yeah, they right. didn't. Um, but what the good news though, I will say, is they didn't raise, but they were allowed to have them. If we exactly. compare it to European banks, where they were like, you have to cut your dividend. Like they literally told European banks, you can't pay dividends anymore. <laughs> literally, that happened during COVID, which is just like the worst thing ever. So yeah, yeah. And that's a big reason why I don't invest in like foreign stocks because I don't understand yeah. a lot of those rules. Like yeah, when yeah. I learned that about Canada, I was like, wait. Even if they were making money, they, the government was just like, nah, you can't do that, fam. Like, yeah. Sorry, bud. I will say one, one thing to, to lightly push back. Well, not to push back, but to, some new information that you might find interesting, though. Um, and, and I got that actually from my last guest, AJ Button. And he tweeted about this, like, I think yesterday or something. He's, he's a Canadian guy did so much research on a lot of stuff. But he likes international stocks because he, he looks at kind of trends over history, right? And he looks a lot at PEs of markets. And without paraphrasing, because he, he'll explain this way better, but basically he was, he was talked about, I think, Japan. I don't know if you heard, they had they called them the lost decades. Yeah, where, the lost um, three decades. Yeah, where yes. it, was, it traded at a P of like 60 at its peak, and then it crashed and it took 30 years to come back, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like the global average PE, I think, was like 15 or something like that. And anyway, he, was, he wasn't saying this is going to happen in the U.S., but he said the U.S. market is getting a little, you know, valued like quite a bit. Uh, and so, therefore, I'm looking at other stuff like in Europe and Asia, Japan, and other things where PEs are much lower in case the U.S. has some kind of a similar, maybe not a lost decade, but a bit of a stagnation for the next five mm -hmm. or ten years, something like that, which I thought was quite interesting. So, I personally, I also only own Canadian and um, U.S. and one Chinese stock, but, I, you know, I'm looking a little bit at Europe for, for that reason, too, because uh, that, that would be, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, no, uh, Japan. I've done a lot of research on like Japan stuff because just because I, I like anime a lot. And so, oh, right. Japan yes. just was like, and I eventually went down the rabbit hole. Oh, let's look at their finances. But yeah, they were trading yeah. at like a 90 P ratio yeah, for most of their companies. Like, and so, like, crazy. when you see like people like, oh, they had a lost three decades, it's like you don't understand how overvalued. Like, they were like the dot com yeah. bubble, but two times worse. Yeah. At least. Scary. And so, like, they were just. Like Japan was just, and then they like said something about the, like, I can't remember, but it was one governor that said something to like the U.S. are like fat, lazy people. I'm paraphrasing. Oh. I don't know exactly what he said. He said oh. that. And pretty much every big U.S. company was like, fine, we'll go to Korea. We'll oh, go to China. Damn. Yeah. I didn't and know And so that. like, it was just like a double whammy. And yeah. so it was like overvaluation and then pissing off the U.S. Because like Americans are extremely prideful. Like, yeah. it's just, like, a lot of, like, especially, like, huge companies, like, like oh, you're going to say something bad about me? And it was, like, a, it was pretty much a nobody, too. Like, he had, like, some political power, but he wasn't, like, the mm -hmm. president of Japan or whatever, whatever they had there. Prime Minister. And so, but, like, yeah. it pissed off a lot of big companies, like, almost all the car companies. And they're, like, fine, we're not doing business with you anymore. And wow. so that just, it made it worse. <laughs> and a lot of people don't talk about that, but I think that was, like, the last domino that just made it like yeah yeah no that was really something um yeah anyway i, I have one last thing I, I wanted to ask you about if you don't mind uh if you still got a minute right a couple minutes of course okay so i saw you tweet about starbucks was that today or yesterday where you said you you haven't tried their drinks but you have their stock uh, I want to ask you a bit about the stock, but first, dude, you have to try their drinks. They have something, it's called the, um, shoot, what's it called? The Irish Cream Cold Brew. This is so good. It's their best drink. You should try a Starbucks. But tell me what you think about the stock, since you own it. So, I, I don't drink coffee, so this is a oh, big reason. Damn. Um, what about tea? I do. Like, um, I think... I've like tasted a tea, but like I haven't really bought one. I had an ex-girlfriend in college that loved Starbucks, and so, so like good. she would go all the time. But like I just saw the loyalty of Starbucks, and I really like the uh, oh I'm spacing his name the, the CEO? CEO or he's not Howard. the CEO anymore yeah Howard Schultz Howard Schultz yes yeah oh yeah you're right he's gone again the second yeah, third he's, time he's gone yeah he doesn't <laughs> want to be like he wants to retire yeah. but like. He just ran a business so well, and he just understood things and like the commodity of Starbucks. I'm a little worried that he's not there anymore because yeah, any every time he leaves or takes a break, Starbucks doesn't do very well because Howard Schultz is really good at making making the media happy. 
even if he doesn't. So like he paused share buybacks, for example, when yeah. like they were going to do unionization and stuff. And he's like, oh, we'll pause them. And then a few months later, when nobody was talking about the unionizations anymore, when it wasn't on the news, he started up the share buybacks again. Yeah. So like, and a lot of people criticize it because he stopped them at like all time lows, but he's kind of forced to because of the unions. Otherwise he wouldn't have done that. Yep. So like, he's really good at pleasing the media and all of the other people who ran Starbucks after him or have tried to aren't. And so sometimes you invest in a business because of like the person running it. And for me, that's why I bought Starbucks and how ludicrously busy they are anytime I see one. It's such a good company, man. I, I used to own it too. Uh, but I also sold, like, it had that big dip last year. I don't know if you remember. It went down to, like, yeah. 60 or 70. That's when I bought. Uh, me too. I scooped up some shares, but then I sold when it went up to, like, 110 or something. Then I was like, all right, and I put it all into SCHD. And actually, that was because I had a shortage. I didn't have many U.S. dollars at the time. And I was like, okay, if I don't have many USDs, like, right now, let me just put it in an ETF that has a bunch of great stocks instead of just one. So that, that was kind of my thought process. And I'm happy with SCHD for now. But anyway, dude... This was such a good chat. I learned so much from you, and our guests are going to learn a lot. I mean, not our guests. Our listeners are going to learn so much. So uh, thank you. Everyone needs to uh, follow you at Investment Kage. I forget. Do you have, like, a, a YouTube or something like that? You do, right? I do have a YouTube. It's under the same thing. I haven't posted on it. So oh, okay. I have an old Mac computer, and I can't figure out how to edit on it very well. Oh, okay. Um, just because I can't update any like there's no updates anymore i see like the app was like hey dude your computer yeah. is 13 years old you can't oh man yes i i understand well when you get your next one you will have your youtube channel and everyone will subscribe to you and, and so everyone subscribe to him right now uh but yeah man thank you so much like do you have any like uh, kind of uh closing words for you know our listeners maybe some like a, a big lesson or something that they should learn from you your biggest piece of advice I think my biggest piece of advice would be just start. If you don't know anything about investing, just buy companies, even if it's overvalued or whatever. Don't, I shouldn't say this, but like, don't care too much about the valuation. Like I didn't like just starting is important. Even if you overpay on something, especially if you're only starting with a few dollars, it's okay. Like mm -hmm. you will make many mistakes investing. I have like, I bought AT&T stock and Verizon. They did bad. Uh, my Bank of America stock isn't doing well because I didn't understand the business. But starting, I think, is the most important thing. And as you keep going, you'll learn more and more. And if you can't figure out how to invest money, and if you're young like me and single or things like that, maybe pick up a side job to like invest a little more or save for a house or whatever. But like, the point is, is just start. If you don't have any skin in the game, you're not going to have any emotion. I spent three years of researching stocks before I even touched an ETF, which I bought Boo was my first one. And that was like a really scary thing. But the, when I first did that buy, I learned an immense amount. So just start. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Investment Kage. This was a wonderful discussion. As I said, everyone, please follow him on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, and uh, thank you again for tuning in to the Newcomer Investor channel. And we look forward to connecting again with you soon.